0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We are a couple of missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. Mary, welcome back to U.S.
1: Soil. It's good to be back. I'm a little jet-lagged, as I'm sure you are, too, and even though my bags are unpacked, I feel like I'm wearing some significant bags underneath my eyes. I think we're going to be catching up on sleep for a while, Father John.
0: I think we are, but it was uh, just an extraordinary time away. And in fact, that's the topic, isn't it, as we uh, as we dive into this yeah. podcast episode? Yeah, it
1: is. Our title for today's conversation is Jerusalem in our rearview mirror. Great. We can't wait to hopefully
0: just bring you along uh, by words, even as we were bringing you along in our prayers Uh, in this episode. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit just to come and be with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you for these days that we're in, this holy season of Lent, and especially that we're getting closer and closer now to the celebration of Holy Week and those events that Jesus accomplished on our behalf so as to rescue us from the clutches of sin and death, to do battle against the enemy to make atonement for our sins, to show us how much you love us. Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us in these days, that we would understand what Jesus has done like never before, that the events would be fresh, our hearts would be overwhelmed, we'd be filled with zeal and joy to go out into a world that is lost and broken and frightened, to tell them that there's reason for hope, for you are real. And you have acted. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, you know, we want to,
0: in this episode, we just want to try to give you a a taste, really, of some of the highlights. There's too many to be shared. But we want to walk you through a couple of the places in particular where the Lord just, you know, powerfully spoke to, to us and to some of the pilgrims that were with us. So we we want to talk about Bethany and Gethsemane and Calvary and the tomb, but maybe first it's just worth sharing again, you know, all of you were so present to us, uh, especially those of you who took the time to send in petitions. We actually printed them. I mean, we literally carried them, right? Steve had them in a bag.
1: Yeah, the Marine had a couple backpacks on his bag and one of them were just um, um, all the intentions and we literally placed them on every altar where Mass was celebrated at every site and uh, it was such a grace to bring you along with us, and 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 as. We- as we talk about, you know, m- remember we invited you guys to send your petitions and we now invite you to to share all the manner of graces um, of answered prayers. We've already heard from a number of you sharing some amazing stories of what happens when God's people go to the Father and ask. And uh, so we're seeing some remarkable answers to prayers already. So please continue to share those with us so we yeah. can give witness. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's important
0: to ask people to pray because it's an expression of love, but then it's important to share with people afterwards, hey, I just want to let you know how those prayers got answered. So if, in fact, things have been answered, we would love to know. It's, it's good for our edification, and, uh, and we might share some of those along with you. Too. We've seen some real miracles, I mean, like some genuine miracles, uh, even just a couple of days in uh, from, from our time uh, over there carrying you. So, so let's, let's start maybe in, um, in Bethany. So as we got closer to the conclusion of our pilgrimage, we were celebrating mass in what is reportedly Lazarus's right. house, right? Very close to Lazarus's right. tomb, which we walked into, unlike last that time was an when experience. you and Steve and I were there. They didn't turn yep. the lights off, which was really nice. And, and for those of you who've never been to the Holy Land, it's worth maybe just sharing real quickly. When you're at these places celebrating mass, you read the readings for the event that happened there. So for example, in Bethany, we read the story of the raising of Lazarus, right? Uh, in Gethsemane, you read this. You read the Passion. Uh, much of what you would hear on Good Friday, uh, on Mass at the tomb. Even though it was Wednesday of the second week of Lent, it was Easter Sunday at the tomb. And so there's a Gloria and a Creed, and you read the, you know, the, the Gospel uh, resurrection story from John is what we had, and then you walk out of Holy Sepulchre and you're back into second week of Lent. So that's just worth knowing. So when we're at Lazarus's house, like what jumped out at you in a particular way at this, at this place so that give people like a taste of what it is that you were experiencing there.
1: I would love to, Father John. um, But if I can just make a comment about what you just said, you know, you were talking about how we read the the, the readings that are proclaimed um, on that day are, are, are consistent with the places where we're visiting. Mm. Rabbi Jeremy Driscoll shared with you many years ago and you have shared with us that when the gospel is being proclaimed, it's an event. And that's exactly what this felt like for for so many of us because um, perhaps some of you are like me. Sometimes when I'm hearing either scripture proclaimed or I'm reading it, it falls flat. And sometimes I forget like this stuff really happened. Like there was a dead man in a tomb that hadn't been there just for hours, but for for what? Four days already. And Jesus speaks life into him. And this man, his friend, his dear friend, Lazarus comes out. And I would imagine that as this event is happening, that there's got to be a crowd and they just can't believe what they're hearing.
0: Yeah. You can more than imagine it. You know it. Right. (laughs) All right. So, if you're there watching a man who's wrapped in a shroud walk out of a tomb, you're probably not going, "Oh, well, this is a very fascinating thing." Hmm. Let's go have breakfast. It's just out of your mind. You're like, "What the world is going on?" It's just crazy. It's just crazy.
1: And you you shared um, some beautiful words of encouragement for us uh, in your homily. Um, Something around you know, at least for. What what I can recall you said something around the fact that Jesus stands at the tomb of all of our lives and the and the tombs of those that we love and calls us by name, just like he did Lazarus, and he says to us, Come out, with both love and authority, come out. So it's a very personal, it's a very personal action on behalf of God who's always looking for us, who hates death who 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 was enraged that we are held captive yep. by death and demons and hell and just like Lazarus he wants us to come out.
0: Yeah, I th- I don't remember if it's Timothy Keller or or somebody that I heard one time commenting upon this gospel he says you know in a certain sense this is the essence of the whole gospel that God is always taking the initiative. So Jesus says to the apostles after uh, they don't get it when he says, you know, like Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, he's gonna get better. He's like, no, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad that I wasn't there. Let us go to him. And so that comment, let us go to him, like that somehow encapsulates all of God's initiative. Like, in other words, he doesn't he doesn't need me to come to him. He comes to me first. So some of us are listening right now and we've got children or grandchildren or a spouse or a sibling or a a dear friend who seems to be as if in a tomb right now. They seem to be dead, stuck in a a way of living, uh, stuck in a pattern of life, stuck in unbelief, stuck in, you know, rejection of the gospel. And it's just worth knowing, even though you can't see it right now, we can't see it right now. The reality is, Jesus is always constantly taking the initiative, standing in front of them each and every day, and will do so every day of their lives, calling them by name to come out of the tomb, even as he does that with me also often, because I, in my stupidity, I like walk back into my own tombs, right? That's just really great to know.
1: You know, I was thinking about um, who wrote the who wrote the poem "The Hound of Heaven," Thompson. Well, um, yeah, Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson. Um, our Lord is the Hound of Heaven, who's constantly standing on the horizon of our lives and those that we love, seeking for us. And that doesn't mean that we don't pray for for for, um, for those that we love. We we certainly should bring that need to the Lord, but the good news is that He's already on it.
0: Yeah, he, amen. So we pray for each other out of love, right? And the Lord yeah. wants us to. The great news is He doesn't need it. That's right. He's He's already going over the hills, to, just like He went over the hills to to Bethany to bring Lazarus out of his out of his.
1: Thanks tomb. be to God.
0: Amen. So let's move to Gethsemane. So once again, we we celebrated Mass at Gethsemane. In fact, we were outside in the garden celebrating mass, which was just, I'd never done that before. I'd, I'd celebrated mass in the the church of all nations, which is what they call the, um, the the church that's built on top of supposedly the rock where Jesus is sweating blood. But we were outside in the garden and we were looking at Jerusalem. Yes, we're we looking were. at the beautiful gates So we're looking at the eastern wall. It was and we heard a cock crow.
1: Uh, that's what I was just oh going to say. We heard cocks crow in the distance. And it just, um, I just j- just put goosebumps on my arm. It was so real. Uh, it, 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 again, it was like being there. It was a perfect stage setting.
0: Yeah. So, so again, we had the, the mm. gospel was mm. the account of Jesus in the garden. And maybe I want you to comment on what it is that that struck you there, but let me set this up. So, we had been in Galilee right before this. So, if you've never been to the Holy Land, Galilee for us in Michigan is like going up north, being on the lakes. It's stunning, it's very calm, it's beautiful. The lake is, is majestic, there's hills all around it, it's very peaceful. And you leave there and you head to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a small, compressed city. It's very rocky, very craggy. It's loud. It's bustling. It's jarring.
1: Couldn't be any more different.
0: And as Brian. we left Galilee, I remember I, I, we had all gone out to pray. Uh, I think we were doing a holy hour as the sun was coming up, which was just spectacular. And in my mind, for whatever reason, I was thinking of Sophie Scholl, who's a, a, a real hero for us, and um, was a, a remarkable woman who, together with her, her brother, she was executed by the Nazis. I'll leave you to find out more about that. But anyway, Sophie, as, as she's on her way to have her head cut off because she was beheaded, her comment as she walks out of her cell is, it's such a lovely day and I have to go. She was, I think, 21 when that happened. And the Lord brought that to mind as we were praying on the Sea of Galilee heading to Jerusalem. And then he brought it very powerfully to mind in Gethsemane. And the the reason it was in my mind was that's such an amazing contrast with how Jesus approaches his death. So here's a 21-year-old girl who's about to be beheaded. And her words are, it's such a lovely day and I have to go. Jesus, the eternal son of God, Utterly collapses in the garden. He didn't just fall to the ground. The Greek is very strong. He utterly collapses. He sweats blood and he begs the Father that this cup might pass from him. Like, what gives with that? And I think I was fortunate enough to preach that day. We were going back and forth. I think what hit me was, you know, the Lord's not sweating blood because he's dreading death. People... People have approached death with a lot more calmness than Jesus faces his. Jesus isn't simply afraid of dying. All that's happening there helps us to understand what he's about to do, who he's about to fight, and the magnitude of what it is he's about to take upon his shoulders and into his body.
1: Right? Yeah, there hasn't been a war fought in our history, that even comes close to Jesus taking on the powers of sin and death and hell. Like, we don't know a general who's done something like that. And it, keep in mind, a general had, you know, a general has an army, an arsenal of men who are fighting for him. Um, you often refer to Jesus, Father John, as the greatest athlete there ever was. I don't know of an athlete who had who has or had that power, that strength. So he's taking on sin, death, hell, and Satan, and he was doing it for us. Mm. He was doing it for you, and he was doing it for me, and he, was, he, he did it for every man and woman in all of human history. And um, uh, that's what's on his mind. That's what causes him to fall prostrate, on the ground because he's going to be engaging in the greatest battle of all of human history.
0: Yeah. In, in fact, the the image that I had that morning as we were praying, so we would go every morning over to Holy Sepulcher, the the church that's built on top of Calvary in the tomb, and we would pray there. And then we would go about our day. And as I was praying that morning, it was this, I was praying with that scene in the garden. And then the, the Lord just kind of gave me the, the, uh, the image in my mind is I was praying. Imagine a man standing in front of the gates of Auschwitz alone, pounding on the gate saying, I'm here for every man and woman and child inside there. And he breaks in single, literally single-handedly, defeats all the guards, rescues all the people in the camp. I mean, that's just absurd. Like nobody could do that, right? He unarmed, alone, but he does it. And, and then he goes, like, to Dachau, and he pounds on the gates, and he does the same thing. And then he moves on, as I was praying, I could just see the Lord. He moves on to, like, all of the gulags in the Soviet Union. And then he moves on, you know, into all the camps that were existing at the time. And then he does it in all the camps, in all the times of human history, single-handedly, without an army, demanding the release of the inmates and defeating those who are holding them captive. This is just absurd, right? It's beyond, it's beyond absurd. But that's what Jesus did. And that's what causes him to utterly collapse and to sweat blood. He's standing, as one person put it once, not only uh, at the front of the army going to battle against hell, He's standing alone. And I think it's Adrian von Speyer who is a Swiss mystic. She says, you know, to try to understand Jesus' passion and what he's enduring, you you need to think about something like the eternal son of God in heaven saying to the father, I will drink the oceans of the world dry, which, you know, for the eternal son of God is nothing. It's nothing. But then he becomes man And he has to do it. And it's something. And it explodes him, which is, of course, how Jesus dies. He dies, his heart explodes because he's asphyxiated and it just can't beat anymore. And So God God dies of a broken heart Mm -hmm. for me. And so I had this image, you know, I see Jesus lying on the ground, he's sweating blood, he's in agony, preparing to go into battle. And then someone had shared with me a couple of years ago, and I've never forgotten this, It's like Jesus lying on the ground. He's talking to the Father. And then at a certain moment, he sees your face, Mary's. He sees my face, John. He sees Albert. He sees Rick. He sees, you know, Lynn. And he pushes himself up off the ground. And as he does so, he says, let's do this, Father. Mm. They're worth it. That's what God thinks of us. I'm worth it. huh? Don't know why. What a piece of work I am. But to God, I'm worth it. You're worth it. You're worth dying for. All these things come back to mind at at Gethsemane, huh?
1: Oh, you know, Father John, when you shared that with us uh, in the homily, um, i I cried. that that imagery is so helpful. Again, stories and imagery like that and the fruit of your prayer help us to, in some way appreciate, like what Jesus did for us. And I think it was Father Romano Guardini years ago was asked, Why would Jesus do something like this? And I believe his response was, Because love does such things. Yeah. And we as human beings cannot possibly fathom the depth of that kind of love. With as much as we strive to love, love the Lord and love those men and women he's placed in our lives. Um, we just don't love like that. So it's just hard to conceptualize that we matter that much to God. And we say that often, uh, right, in our ministry, um, that you matter. Right. But that imagery is so, so helpful. Just Jesus going from camp to camp to camp. And that's inconceivable. And if that's inconceivable, him coming to rescue us is even more inconceivable.
0: Yeah. And, you know, even as you're sharing that, it makes me think, you know, here we are in this time of. Uh, Eucharistic revival and it's heading towards the the big Congress that's going to happen in Indianapolis in a year or so. This is one of the things Jesus wants to do in the Eucharist. He wants to give me that kind of love. He wants to put his blood into my heart so that I won't just marvel at his love for me. I'll be able to share it with others. Not about you, but like I am so convicted as I say that just because how many times have I received the precious blood in my life? How many thousands of times have I received the precious blood in my life and yet my heart is still the way it is and I can still struggle to love the way I struggle?
1: You know, so, just hearing you say that, Father John, I'm reminded of something that I take to confession um, regularly because I think it's at the root of my sin and that's that I fail to love well. And, and if, I, if I, if we actually loved well, imagine um, how much more fruitful our lives could be and how much more attractive we could be yeah. as witnesses to Jesus, right? May it be so. So we,
0: we shared a little bit about Calvary already or, or about the, the, the passion of our Lord already. Let's, let's forego Calvary. We'll talk about that maybe uh, somewhere down the line. The only thing that's worth saying about Calvary is I was just really struck this time in a way that I had never been before. By, by the starkness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we would pray every day pretty much in Adam's Chapel, which is directly below Calvary. And Calvary was a quarry. It was a stone quarry. It's probably the quarry that they built the temple from. And I was just, you know, as I was praying there, I felt like the Lord would allow me to see. Because when you pray, you want to use your imagination, right? You want to ask the Holy Spirit, help me to get into mm-hmm. these scenes that I'm praying within the scriptures, not just read words, and so I was hearing the echo of hammer against nail and wood against rock and people screaming and the crying and the emotion and the guards jeering and the religious leaders taunting and all of that. Then suddenly you move 30 yards away, which is where the tomb is. Right. And it is, I don't know about you, but it's a completely different feel. Mm-hmm. It's calm. It's peaceful. Like, you know, it's Easter. It's mm-hmm. always Easter at the tomb. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing, right? So it was great for you because um, we had different ones of us read at uh, at the masses each and every day. And so Steve got to read the first reading at the tomb. That's something worth putting that in your resume. Really,
1: that was really special, Father John.
0: And then afterwards, you guys had a chance to go in and venerate, I think. So whoever it is that celebrates the mass at 630, we had the mass at 630 in the morning. Right. And then the pilgrims, they're first in line to get in to venerate the tomb. And that's not a real prayerful experience, is it? So give give everybody a sense of what it's like
1: to go into the holiest place on the face of the earth. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, you know, we were waiting in line. So as you said, we had just celebrated the mass. We were first in line. And we could see behind us that the line was growing. And it almost wrapped completely around the tomb. And and as we turned around and we looked, we thought, holy cow, isn't it great to be like first in line? This is going to be so beautiful. So there's all this anticipation about being able to walk into the tomb and to venerate and to pray there. And it was kind of like it was a... um, uh, what, what am I saying? Like a production line. And there were people who were responsible for allowing two people to go in at a time. And what we're told is no photos, no videos, no praying.
0: So and, Hang on. Just pause so right there. It, No No. praying. You're going into the holiest place on earth. Whatever you do, don't pray.
1: But Father John, I have to tell you, so so no photos right after I took a photo. So I got (laughs) chastised for that. So I had my phone up and I took a picture and I I hear no pictures, no pictures, no pictures. And then apparently I needed to move to the left. I happened to be on the right and I heard the gentleman who was trying to navigate the crowd said, Madam, to the the left, to the left, to the left. And I'm hurrying. He's going quick quick, quick. And then of course you hear, and no one's to pray. So it, it was kind of, it was a juxtaposition around just that the, all that is human against all that is holy. But even given all of that, it was sublime. It was a moment of extraordinary grace. I don't think that any of us will ever, ever forget
0: well thankfully I had a somewhat different experience only because uh, we were actually able to to enter into the tomb as we were celebrating mass which we had done actually you and Steve and I mm-hmm. crowds were much smaller in 1998 we were able to do that before but so my experience since I was was very calm and tranquil and I'm trying not to look around but yeah there's there's something just not right about being told not to pray at the tomb nonetheless we brought all of you with us and we, we just pray that even as the Lord walked out of his tomb and he brought uh, the human race to life that you're experiencing some of the graces of this. Let's, let's bring this home. Let's, let's issue a bit of a challenge. You're always great at this. As we get ever closer to holy, what are some of the encouragements you might want to share with people?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Father John, I was uh, thinking about this before we were, before we recorded and, um, I, maybe one of the things that we can do is to to open our scriptures now and just start reading the passion narratives, um, and really spend time with them, uh, linger longer with them because you can, because you can, to prepare ourselves um, for what it is we're going to hear. And you know, when we when we when we move into the triduum, oftentimes Friday, you know, we're normally there from oftentimes you know. Starting at eleven o'clock and wrapping up at three, um, the context can be somewhat frustrating because it's, it's it's a long day where it's a long set of hours. It's a lot of standing. It's a lot of kneeling. There's plenty of distractions, and we have our kids and our family Let with us. Let us kneel. <laughs> Let us pray. But so so. But but I think sometimes you know when we when we enter into. The woman, we're flipping the pages in our scriptures or our missals or our magnificats. It can just look like it's going to be a very long Day. reading. And we're so familiar with the story, but this is so much more than a story. And um, it, it's my prayer it's, uh, that all of us who had the grace of going on pilgrimage will experience Holy Week in a completely different way that we can literally put ourselves um, um, in the Gospels, in the story. And, and, and the one that comes to help us when we want to pray like this is, is the Holy Spirit, our advocate. Um, so just ask the Holy Spirit to take you there and to help us to really understand anew, as if for the very first time, that Jesus is doing this just Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. because love does such things right father john
0: indeed i love that this that's the best simple most succinct challenge i think we can offer right now as we prepare for holy week read it as if for the first time the holy spirit who lives in you was there those days and those events and he can bring us in prayer to those events and to those days whether you've ever been in jerusalem or not it doesn't matter The Lord's given you an imagination and he wants us to use it and to ask him to animate it in such a way so that we can picture using our senses, our imagination, our memory, uh, what it was like to have been there, whether it was for Gethsemane or whether it was for the cross or whether it was to be Magdalene that day when she hears her name being called by Jesus. And she turns around and she knows that from that point on, nothing is ever going to be the same. Can you imagine if in these days, and especially as we get into the Easter season, we will hear Jesus call us by name and we will know in a way that only he can convince us he's alive. And because he's alive, life's different. All these things are true. That's why it's good news. And because they're true, Do not be afraid. God is with you, and you were born for this.